Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Yay, Networks. Welcome to Courtney Beyond the Cake. Stories that inspire, uplift, and fill your soul with joy, much like cake. Not too long ago, I had a listener reach out and ask if I would do an episode about navigating divorce. Her parents had just announced theirs, and this listener found herself a little lost in the new space. I promised her I would. I promised because there were so many times early in my parents' divorce, and even now, 18 years later, when I wished I would have been able to hear someone else's story when I wanted to feel less alone, and when I needed help better understanding and better navigating what was going on. But rather than just share my personal experience and what I've learned, I've invited my friend, Dr. Matt Townsend, to help guide the discussion and offer his expert advice for not just navigating divorce as the child or parent when it happens, but also for navigating our relationships before it even becomes a possibility. So today, this episode is for that listener, and hopefully many, many more. For more than two decades, Dr. Matt Townsend has been energizing and educating audiences with his unique lessons on life, love, and leadership. Known as one of America's top presenters in the field of human relations and development, Matt blends humor and storytelling with his real-life solutions to inspire and motivate healthier living. Matt completed both his bachelor's and master's degrees in the field of communication with an emphasis in conflict resolution. He then earned a second master's degree and PhD in the field of human and organizational systems. Before building his own coaching practice, Matt spent seven years as a consultant and presenter for Franklin Covey and also worked as a mediator for companies and couples. Matt can be seen weekly on KSL Television's Studio 5 with Brooke Walker and his book, Starved Stuff, Feeding the Seven Basic Needs of Healthy Relationships is a popular pick among those searching for better relationship skills and can be found on Amazon and his website at matttownsend.com. He also has his online workshops about marriage, parenting, and anxiety, and coaches individuals and couples on these issues. Matt's greatest love in his life is his wife, Marty, and they have been married for 28 years. They are parents of six children, one girl and five boys. Their daughter and son-in-law have blessed them with their first three grandchildren. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Courtney Beyond the Cake. I apologize for my scratchy voice. I'm coming off Pinner's Weekend and uh, did a lot of talking and with a mic even was yelling a little bit. So I apologize for, for my voice. I am really eager, I think is the word for this episode. Um, I have Dr. Matt Townsend with us today. And to give you a little background real quick on this episode, it was actually a topic brought up by a couple of our listeners and they requested this topic or asked if I would address it. Um, one listener in particularly said that, you know, she's probably about my age, uh, a new mom ish, and her parents are recently going through a divorce and she found herself or has found herself in a situation like hard to navigate. What do you do at this point? And she said, I would love to hear your thoughts. And if you have heard my story or listened to my, you know, first podcast, you guys know my parents got divorced, um, 
when I was in college. And I am no expert on the subject. I have my own personal experience. I've talked a lot to my siblings about it as well. So I won't get a lot into my experience. There's some thoughts I have, but I brought Dr. Matt Townsend on today because you are the expert on relationships and marriage. And I've listened to you over and over again on Studio 5. Um, you have classes. There's so much you have to offer. I think you are the one to lead us <laughs> through this conversation today. So welcome. Thank you. Good to be here, Courtney. This is fun. I mean, <laughs> divorce, tough topic, but we got to learn. We got to learn. We got to learn. And there is so much to learn and so much to think about from everyone's perspective. I mean, every circumstance is different. We're not going to talk about whether one situation is right for divorce and whether it's not. It happens. Yeah. It sucks no matter what. Let's just say that. Okay. Right. If there is heartache, whether it's amicable or whether it's tough between the parents, um, whether the kids are young, whether they're adults or teenagers, like some of my family was, um, I don't think any of that changes the heartache that happens. So I recently, to get us started, I recently asked my siblings some questions about my parents' divorce. And one of the things I asked was, you know, what was one of the things, aside from actually getting divorced, you wish mom and dad would have done differently during that time? And all of them had answers that related to honesty or being more honest. Now, (laughs) to give you a little background and the listeners a little background, and then I want to turn the time over to you. Um, I have a very close relationship with my parents. They are supreme. They are my everything. Yeah. And I've always had a close relationship with them. And I look up to them so much. Uh, that meant during that time of their separation and divorce, I talked to them a lot mm-hmm. as a 17-year-old, as an 18-year-old. And I wanted to fix things and I wanted to listen and I wanted to help. So I heard a lot. Yeah. They were very honest with yeah. me. So there's got to be some kind of balance because my siblings felt like they knew nothing. Right. And there was no honesty. Whereas I was like, I took on too much and my parents knew or looking back, they know that that was too much for me. So let's talk about that first. Yeah. When it comes up, like how honest is too honest and and help us kind of navigate that part of the relationship. Well, it's, and it's interesting, right? Because every age developmentally, you can only handle so much anyway, right? So part of what I suggest is really your kids shouldn't be involved in any of it. They shouldn't necessarily know the baggage that you can teach them and and educate them in it later. But like a 17 year old girl shouldn't have to play the mediator. And they probably weren't intending that. No, yeah. but, But it happens because you then... You, you have a child you can open up to and you share with. and But then there's like the younger children, 10 years younger, that can't hear some of this stuff and shouldn't hear right. some of this. So one of my rules is keep the kids out of it and then involve them as a united front. So get together on it. Like literally, once you're sure you're going to be moving toward a divorce, then create a united front that we as a couple are going to work through this and we're going to then tell tell the kids together. We're going to be yeah. united in the approach. We're going to be clear in what we're going to say. We're going to like save some stuff for later. Yeah. Not everything needs to be brought out right now. And most importantly, we're going to reassure the children as to how it will impact them. It's really the funny thing about divorce is it's it's really to the children. It's more about what's going to happen to them. How does this impact me? And so more that's more what they want to hear. And most importantly, they would just love to have you not divorce. Right. And so, so there's a lot of work, I would say that I, weirdly that could become some of the easiest work is how to tell the kids if you've done all the other work, 
a lot of divorces just end in a reactive explosion because of an event. And then it gets really reactive really quickly. And then everything's divided. I, I think there's a lot of work you can do together to while you're going through the decision, if we're going to divorce so that we are healthier, we have more character, we can communicate better, we can manage conflict and co-parent better. And we, we know the changes we need to make. And we've made a lot of changes before we do this. I, I, lo- I love that idea. I am coming from divorced parents who were pretty amicable. Yeah. Um, there was not a lot of hate. Of yeah. course, there were sides to things, yeah. right? But what do we do in situations where maybe one spouse is really angry at the other spouse for something that they yeah. did? And that kind of relationship is a little bit harder, right? Because you right. hear the stories of, right. well, mom told me this about dad and dad told me this about mom. And, and they're kind of putting the kids up against each other. Yeah. yeah. And it's so damaging. It's not going to, no, you're, you will never win if the kids are in between. You'll never win. The relationship is what's failed, not the whole family hasn't failed. The family has even worked together. It still works together. But so the, the minute you put the kids in between you two in the fight, you are, that's a sign you are in trouble. So part of it is, and again, the hard part is some people are ahead in the divorce because they have been, they gave up two years ago. And because they gave up two years ago, they're more ready to move on. And the other one is just getting in there. In order to move on in a divorce, you need both people ready to move on. And so sometimes that takes time, which means sometimes we ought to slow down, slow down the process and get more, get both of us on board. Uh, One of the best ways to do it, and most of us don't know how to do it, is talk, right? Like all meaning is created by conversation. Most couples that are divorcing don't know how to communicate through it. And so by not communicating through it, you will have people on different pages. So I, there is incredible research about slowing down divorce actually makes it healthier and actually prevents it for some, but slowing it down makes it so we can at least both be on the same page Yeah. and then make it as win-win as you can. Sometimes the minute you turn it into a combative thing, it's no longer win-win. It's, and the once, once dad wins, cause he moved on and he has a new wife and he's all done and he's rich and he's got the cash flow and mom and the kids are struggling, uh, then You'll, you'll hear these stories over and over forever. Everyone will be mad at that. How do you slow it down? Like, what's yeah. the right way to do that? Does that mean there's longer separation? There's, yeah. explain that a little well, bit so more. What I always teach is the process. And I, so I started, um, I, I used to train for Franklin Covey for years and taught all these skills to executives. And I thought, why aren't couples learning these skills? Because if couples knew how to do this, we could probably save a lot of marriages. And then on the side, I was mediating divorces. So as I was actually divorcing couples, I started teaching them skills. And a lot of the couples that were divorcing, I basically said, I'll help you divorce effectively. Financially, it'll be cheaper this way. And you'll learn how to talk. And then, um, and if you don't want to, we can always save the marriage, but I'll teach you the skills and, um, and you can get divorced. But what was amazing is once they learned the skills, a lot of them didn't want to divorce. And so at that point, I'm like, why am I divorcing you anymore? So I changed my whole business model to just teaching the skills. And then yeah. if somebody still wanted to divorce, I let them, I just let them go to my mediators that could help them talk. Yeah. But one of the things I teach is what they'd always come in angry, trying to supposedly end the marriage, but they also couldn't relate. So what I would always tell them is let's just take your marriage. Let's not even make a decision on the marriage yet. Let's just put it on the shelf and let's just learn to relate. No matter what happens in your divorce, you're going to need to know how to communicate. 
You're going to need to co-parent. You're going to need to be to show character. You're going to need to show up on time. Why don't we just work on some basic relationship skills and see if we can get the relationship strong. Then let's talk. Then should we divorce? Then should we make the decision to finally pull the plug? And, and weirdly, once they got to the stage where they could talk, relate, they had enough character to be honest and say what needed to be said, then they could actually openly decide if I want this. And the other person's now informed and we're communicating. And a lot of times they pull the marriage back down and save it. And sometimes they'd still pull the marriage down and it's just better to be done. And then they can be done. Even if, even if they've already made a mistake, even if they've already had an affair, even if they already have other problems, um, just still slowing it down a little bit to get the skills helps you co-parent forever, helps you be able to trust each other a lot more. It's, there's great research that shows what happens to you for the last like five minutes in the dentist chair is what you remember most. So I don't know if you've noticed this, that most dentists, after they've drilled your face for <laughs> hours, they usually give you about five minutes to just sit and relax and just calmly yeah. sit there while we're waiting for the dentist to come back or whatever. And that gives you a nice, calm, positive moment. Then the doctor will come talk to you and then we're done. And they always try to leave you with five or six minutes of really good non, non-drilling. And same is true in our marriages. If we're going to divorce, if we could actually spend a couple of weeks or months learning to actually relate and, act- and communicate through the pain and get to a point where we really can apologize to each other and create some, some caring again, then and still choose to let go. That's, notice the word, the optimal word is and. I can, I can be done, exhausted, frustrated, and still be loving and caring and see that you're an essential part of my life forever. Those can go together. Usually in ugly divorces, they don't go together. We don't build an and between the two. And if you don't build the and, you're not going to have the long-term healthy divorce. Okay, there's so much I want to build upon on what you just said. One of the things, obviously, is the children. Yeah. And the impact all of this has on the kids, no matter what age they are at. And the idea that you talked about, uh, like slowing this down so that you're better able to help your children yeah. move forward, right? We're never really moving on. There's there's pain right. throughout this. Right. I mean, I even remember when I was in therapy at 18 and 19, 20, I mean, my whole life, I originally though was given books on death and dying yeah, from grieving. a therapist because yeah. she said, yes, a divorce is grieving the loss of a relationship, right? Between your parents and, and kind of your family. Um, and so it was never really going to be ending. And I think as I've seen my parents work through theirs and get to a point where they can forgive each other and love one another and respect one another, it's helped us four kids flourish and have stronger relationships with them. Talk to me a little bit more about kind of this negative talk that parents can have. I hear a lot about this in some of the relationships that I've heard about through friends and their divorces. Um, I just, I guess I just want to stress how important it is not to put that on the kids. And what does it do to kids long-term? Your situation growing up with your parents' divorce was a lot different than mine. Right. And one of the things to always remember is your child is half of both of you. So you can't hate the other parent without hating part of your child in their mind. So if you struggle with part of um, uh, of your spouse's identity, you're struggling with part of your child's identity. 
So there's always an identity issue going on. So, and so it, well, part of this is maturity, right? And again, we can't, you can't solve something you can't handle, right? You can't influence something you can't handle. If, if, um, if somebody comes in and they're bleeding out of an artery in their neck or whatever, if you can't handle blood, you're pretty much useless in this experience. So if a lot, and a lot of us feel like we couldn't handle our parents going through something like this, but the reality is you can handle it. And if, if mom and dad can just recognize that the relationship, by the way, remember most relationships fail, pretty much every serious romantic relationship you have had has failed except one usually, right? The one that we marry and stay with. And then sometimes those fail. And then the next one. So most of us only know a lot of failure in relationship, intimate relationships. And I guess when I think of parents and the impact is because they don't know the skills, they don't know how to be calm. They don't know how to not be hurt anymore. They just do their typical fight or flight or whatever they do. And without meaning to, they project onto their kids. I remember my mom, like I, my voice is distinct and it might, it sounds a lot like my dad's. And so even my, the other day, my sister said, oh, my heavens, you sound just like dad. And I'm like, well, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. But sometimes my mom, I'd make a joke and use my voice. And my mom would say, oh, you sound like your father. Oh, and then it's negative. Too. So now it's negative. But like the joking and the voice is funny. It's really funny. But and it's part of my identity. Yeah. And then I'll never forget that I never heard my mom's mom ever say anything but positive about my dad. So my mom's mom was a major bridge builder because she always talked positively about my dad. Even after the divorce. And always in front of me. I don't know what she said behind my back, but in front of me, my dad was awesome by my grandma, my mother's mother. What do you think that did for you and your relationship with him moving forward? It allowed me to now know that my mom can be okay because my grandma's, my mom's from my grandma and my dad's a good guy. And so sometimes what we can be for others is if you see friends or family going through divorce, make sure that you're not one that has to take sides. You can still see mistakes being made and still love all the positive traits of that person. And by doing so, you hold up the child's identity as whole. You're not your child. I remember when I turned the age of my dad, I thought when my dad left our family and I didn't know the exact age, but I think it was about 35 or, or probably 35 to 40. Yeah. I started thinking, wow, could I ever leave my kids? Could I go? Could I just leave? And you start to have a little battle. Like, am I like uh-huh. that? Am uh-huh. I going to do something like that? And just know that everything a parent says is going to become part of this complex that this child's going to start because it's part of our identity. So be very careful. If I were you, the principle of choice is be loyal to the absent. Be speak of your ex or your 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 ex spouse the way you'd want them to speak of you. Be loyal to them. If you have problems and you need to like seriously get mad at the ex, go to therapy and seriously get mad at the ex. The more you tear down your ex to the people around you, the more they'll tear them down to your children. And you don't want it, again, it doesn't mean that you have to you have to deify him. You don't have to turn the ex into deity. You just also don't have to demonize him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're tearing down someone, this child, whatever age, yeah. holds up on a pedestal, right. right? We do That's to right. all our parents, no matter what, right. until something happens, yeah. and then I think there's confusion. Yep. What do you mean they're not as good as I thought they were, and right. they weren't doing all this? And right. I I think like as we've gotten older, 
Um, obviously there's more that we've had discussions with, with my parents. Um, so I think like you said, depending on the age, what is what you can say to them. Taking a quick break from our interview to tell you about our sponsor. As you look at 2021 so far, I hope you've been able to find the tender mercies and silver linings in the midst of hard times that still fall upon us globally, nationally, and personally. For me, one of the greatest tender mercies of this year has been therapy and the healing I've been able to do through it. You've heard me talk about it before, and we continue to have BetterHelp as a sponsor because taking care of your mental health is that important to me. I started when I was 19, did it kind of on and off for a while, and have been consistently doing it more recently. I realized, though, that it's not always easy to find a therapist or even find time to go to an appointment. So when I first heard about BetterHelp, I knew it was something I had to tell you about. BetterHelp is a safe online environment for you to talk to a professional therapist. No leaving your house, no sitting in waiting rooms, and no paying pricey bills. You can even message your therapist at any time. Of course, everything you share is confidential. You'll see that they specialize in a lot of different areas. Depression, family issues, grief, self-esteem, relationships, sleeping, and so much more. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, betterhelp.com slash beyondcake. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash beyondcake. Kind of reversing that, how does someone like me who was 17 or maybe now 37 set boundaries with parents who are getting divorced that want to be open and honest and share a lot of things? You know, how do you set those boundaries? How do you respect their feelings? Do I even need to respect their feelings because they've done this to me. You know, you have all of these thoughts, Mm -hmm. right? So how coming from the child's perspective, how do you set those boundaries and how do you talk to your parents? So we'll get, let me get to boundaries in a second, because notice that your boundary you will set will always be based on your, um, your level of maturity you possess. So the, the more you realize you're a force in your own life, um, you're, you don't necessarily need to make boundaries for everyone else. Once you kind of are strong yourself, you can handle people without boundaries. You just, cause you set your own boundary in your own head, but there is something that probably precedes boundary setting, which is every human being has four basic needs. Okay. Growing up, every human needs to know they're lovable from birth. You just need to know you're loved and that love is secure. And it's, and it's not based on having something, being something you're just lovable. Every human needs to know they're capable, that they can learn, they can grow. Every human needs to know they belong and every human needs to know they're safe. Those are the basic kind of attachment needs. And so when, and when we're growing up without even knowing it, our parents can influence those needs. Just make us, they could make us feel like we're less capable by constantly bringing up how dumb we are Mm -hmm. or like, that's a mistake. You don't do it that way or by not belonging. So the minute those needs are violated, our human fight or flight energy gets tied to the lack of that need being met. And it's called an attachment break or an attachment issue. So a lot of us, when we're growing up, when our parents are divorcing, without them even knowing it, they've created a lack of safety for us emotionally. They've created maybe a lack of belonging. I felt like when my parents divorced, I didn't belong because um, no one in my church neighborhood or whatever, none of them had ever divorced. Same. I I had that same. So I don't belong like what? And I, we'd have like father, son outings and 
I'd have to like go track down my dad to get him to come to a father son's outing. And so notice my issue with their divorce was more belonging. And my issue with their divorce was more safe. Like I didn't know people you loved could just divorce. Mm -hmm. Now every age is different, but an eight year old knows it at one level, but like you, an 18 year old had it at another level. You knew you wanted to belong. So you'd kind of get more anxiously aggressive in talking to your parents, but an eight year old might not get anxiously aggressive in talking. They might just more detach. So once we have those needs violated and they're not being met, we we start to feel vulnerable. And when we're vulnerable, fight or flight hits it. And then we do one of three attachment styles. We become anxiously attached where we kind of are controlling, demanding, pleasing. We become, we do everything we can in our control to make sure we're lovable, capable, belonging, and safe. Or we become detached. It's called anxious avoidant. And we aggressively just detach from the situation. Or we might do a little bit of both. We try to control it till we don't get what we want. Then we detach. And so that becomes what are called attachment issues. And right now, they believe 50 to 60% of the population in Western civilization have attachment issues. And divorce is a predictor of attachment issues. And so a lot of what your kids are having happen to them in a divorce is an attachment break. Something emotional makes them now feel like they're unlovable, incapable, they don't belong, and they're not safe. And it may not be even sometimes the divorce. It might be the next guy you bring in that then makes you feel unsafe or makes you feel incapable and inept and stupid. And so once we have these attachments, that's why you need to first figure out if if you went through divorce, if your parents went through divorce, did you pick up attachment issues? Because if you did, you may be bringing them to your marriage. So now you're more controlling in your marriage. You might think you can find the right guy and make him the right guy and control love till you die. And some don't do that. They just detach. And the weird thing is, too, you do it. If you picked up an attachment issue, then, Courtney, you would do it like an 18-year-old attaches or detaches. But your little sister that was 10 years younger, she might pick up a way to handle the divorce as an 8-year-old detaches. So that's why sometimes when you see, and by the way, this is one of the reasons many couples divorce because they had an attachment issue from their childhood. And every time a fight would come in and they felt less loved, one of them gets strong and aggressive and pursues the fight and the other detaches and withdraws and that causes the fight or flight. So there's, uh, there's this deep ongoing attachment issue and it's usually, it's pretty cool because once you see it, you can fix it. Yeah. But, but the way you fix it is you quit. And this is true in divorce. Quit blaming your partner. Um, how come your partner, how come like an argument I hear all the time? How come, um, how come you always go to your parents? Why can't we go to my parents? Why are your parents more important? So now we're arguing about parents. I call that the yeah. smoke. But the real issue is that person feels like they don't belong maybe at your family's. They don't maybe don't feel safe at your family. They don't feel like they're loved at your family. So we fight about your family, but the real issue is the fire deep down about lovable, capable, belonging, and safe. Oh my gosh. I'm, I mean, I've been through my rounds of therapy, but this actually is like new to me, this yeah. whole idea of the different types of attachment, attachment. issues. And yeah. I'm even thinking of my siblings and each of us and yeah. how we've, because we all experienced it differently. Uh-huh. Even yeah. though we're the same family, same parents, right. we experienced it so differently. How... Um, I guess to follow up on that, I mean, how do you ensure 
that your kids know that they are lovable, that they are capable, that they are all these things, all of a sudden they don't. Because as you're saying this, there's a little PTSD over here on the side of the table, right? As I think about all those same or very similar emotions of, I felt alone. I felt like I couldn't talk to anyone about it because I didn't know anyone else right? that had divorced parents or things that were going through this. And then all of a sudden, like I, and I know my brothers and my sister probably felt this way too. Like what was wrong with me and what did I do to cause it? Right. So you have all of a sudden, no matter what, and I think the age didn't even matter on that. There, there were similarities of like, well, how could I have helped? How could, what could I have done differently? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even in no. the marriage. I'm a kid. No, right. But right. Like, notice so, that very question yeah. is, by the way, so it's, it is the child, right? So children are very self-centric. So they think if their parents are divorcing, obviously they caused it. Yeah. They also think if their parents are happy, obviously they're the reason. <laughs> and, and until, and especially young. And then the older you get, the more independent, the more you start to see, well, people are different. And this is just normal development. But it also shows you, um, A, don't ever assume you know exactly how you're, how every child's going to take it. We're, by the way, the mere fact that we're talking about, am I lovable, capable, belonging, and safe? If you are divorcing, if you are inherently and intent, intently worrying about, does my children feel loved? Does my child feel loved through this? Do they feel capable to handle it? Do they feel like they can belong? Do they feel like they're safe? If you're focusing on that as a parent, you're going to help them have less of these attachment issues. Um, And just because three of your four kids made it doesn't mean the fourth one didn't have one. And this is where we start to hand down traditions, right? Of the fathers, right? Our parents don't know how to be married because their parents didn't know how to be married. And then we don't know how to be married. So that's why divorce does have a higher likelihood of repetition. So divorced parents have a higher likelihood of children that will divorce. And it's not, some of it's just lack of skills, but some of it is we hand down the attachment issue. And attachment issues are a lot easier to fix than you think. You just have to know you've got one. And so instead of blaming some, okay, here's an example of one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I need to be taking some yeah, notes. No. I've got so many follow-up questions. <laughs> I'll, okay. give you, I'll give you some <laughs> books to go get and everything. It, it's awesome. But um, I had a guy come in who was on the verge of divorce and grew a huge company, mega rich, way successful man, but he couldn't connect to his family. And um, he'd always be at work. And the minute things got tough, he would just go to work and just detach. And as we were talking, I said, why is it that you have such a hard time, you know, just being home? And he says, I don't belong. Those are the very words he said. I don't belong there. They don't need me. My wife has done everything without me. She doesn't need me. My voice doesn't matter. They, whatever I say, whatever I think we ought to do, gets outvoted and out, whatever. And she just has moved on without me. And then I said, what does that feel like? And he says, it feels lonely. I feel irrelevant. I feel like I don't belong. I feel like I'm not good enough. And then I asked, what's the earliest memory you have of having those feelings before you ever got married? And he just sat for a second and then he started to cry. And he said, I was 15 years old and I didn't make the baseball team as a sophomore. I had always made the baseball team. I was always the king. And I was always with my friends and we were always together. And at 15, I didn't make the team. And right then I knew I didn't belong. So I detached, I pulled away, I quit hanging out with my friends. And we just, after time, we kept um, exploring more of these stories. And he, he quit, he finished high school early. I think he like took the GED just to get out, went and got a great college degree, a great master's degree, 
and built a mega company. And which is, by the way, something he could be capable in. And he was proving to everyone how capable he was. And he belonged because it was his company. So the company, he always belonged. And the problem was, is he never, so that's an attachment issue that he picked up like a 15 year old. And he's carried that same, I call it a script, a behavior script or BS for short. (laughs) Um, We all pick up a script, a little BS, and then we carry it with us. And now at 50, he can't attach to his family. And he blames it on his wife, who is just so independent, but it really is a script he learned. Anytime he feels not belonging, he goes to the script. So once we see that we're doing that in our marriages, you can change the script. And part of it's just, so that's why earlier when you were asking about boundaries, I don't know that I, the minute you're setting a boundary on everyone else, you may not have ever looked at your script yet. So don't set boundaries. If, if my script is to keep, you know, being a 15 year old that's detached, don't trust the boundary I would set. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. So, okay. I'm just thinking, I mean, that man, it was 35 years of his script that he went with, right. Until you helped him recognize. I have been able, this is, you know, making me recognize several things. Um, I guess my question is when I recognize what my attachment uh-huh. type is, yeah. what do I do? Well, the cool thing is, How do is I move on? <laughs> if we're doing this together, like if you were doing this with your partner. Or even as a child. Yeah. yeah. But, well, and like a child won't necessarily know how to recognize it unless they're talking to an expert or somebody that is like, it sounds like you've been hurt. Yeah. And because of that, you could see, by the way, you'll see it. If you, I, I had it when I was eight years old. How am I supposed to? trust that people in my relationships will just stay. So then what you do is you become a little anxious attached, which is, so what I used was my personality. So I use, I use my, my sense of humor. Weirdly I got from my dad. I used charisma. I used fun. I was a pleaser. I did everything I could to just let people love me and make people love me. And then um, what I also learned is when they don't, then just kind of play the martyr and just be a victim and go hide away. So that was kind of this pattern I learned to control the people around me to keep loving me. And that's not normal attachment. That normal, normal attachment is you just know you're lovable. You just know you're capable. But what's cool is as an adult, I can now start to ask for what I need. So when I'm starting to feel, you know, not cared for or not loved or not belonging, I now know that I can reframe it in my head and I can ask my partner for it. Mm -hmm. So the way you end up combating this isn't like what this guy had to learn to do is instead of running away when he's feeling it is go to his wife. And they, by the way, he started sharing his really deep vulnerable stories about how many times he felt so alone at the office and, but didn't know what to do. And he didn't know he had a voice because 15 year olds don't know they can go ask to belong. Like that boy didn't have to give up. He could have been a manager of the baseball team. He could have been, he could have tried out the next year. He could have tried out for another sport. He could have done a lot of other things, but he didn't know he had a voice to ask. And so you'll see husbands and wives that are divorcing that have these attachment issues and what they do, it always makes it so they're never there for each other. The minute, the minute he's finally vulnerable and in um, this partner might, if they, if they both have attachment issue, this partner pulls out and is no longer available for them. So it's almost like they're constantly just missing each other. And what I just teach them to do is 
Let's share our past stories. Let me show you what happened to me. And then can you just stand in there and hold it for me? Can you just hold that I belong and know that I have an inkling and an inclination that with the minute we're in a weird social situation that I don't know about, you know my history. Can you come over and make sure I feel like I belong? And then all of a sudden, you're actually addressing my emotional issue instead of us turning this into your in-law fight. If we go to my in-laws and my wife is by my side and being my uh, support, then I know I'm loved. But if she just thinks I hate her family, that's different, right? And so that's why part of this is going back and talking about each other's story and then having figuring out what does an adult person do differently to have a better script. And sometimes it's verbalizing it. And sometimes it's just saying, honey, my, my teenager's here or my, my little kid's here wanting to know I'm loved. And just having a partner that can then step in and say, I got you. I'll never let you go. I'll never let you down. I'll never, I've got you. And it's, it's a different level of maturity. Mm-hmm. And most couples that are divorcing have never gone that deep. Yeah. But the problem is they think the problem is outside of them. The minute they think the problem is their partner, that's the problem. If that makes sense, yeah, right? Yeah, it does, right? You're putting the blame yeah. on them and I've done everything yeah. I can. I deserve yeah. to be happy. I'm going to yeah. move on and it's all all them, them, them. Mm-hmm. And by the way, watch, it might be even that my partner did do something wrong, did have an affair, and that's still not my problem that's killing me in the relationship. What might be killing me is still my attachment stuff from years ago. So two things are going on simultaneously. They did make a mistake and I still have a major attachment issue. So that's where I say, slow down a little bit and learn about your attachment. Cause that's the number one way to move on. Mm-hmm. And there is a great book. Let me tell you the book. The yeah. book's called hold me tight mm-hmm. by Sue Johnson. We'll put that in the show notes. Hold too, me so tight by Dr. Sue Johnson. She's kind of the guru of attachment issues. And right now it's huge. They believe it's probably every time you've heard of a narcissist, right? And um, a lot of times like that diagnosis is even being less and less used by newer and newer psychologists Uh because a better description of it might actually be they just learn to attach like a six-year-old, which a lot of times is pretty narcissistic. They're very self-focused because they were kind of broken early. Early on. And that's their script that they have from that age. So much of what you're saying, you know, you just think in your head, it's like, wow, if we would have just talked, if we would have just communicated and had these tools, right? I'm such a believer in therapy. I went from the moment things kind of started breaking down um, at 18 and learned some things. And I still, I'm still learning things, my goodness. Um, And I love everything you're saying, but let's talk about therapy and the benefit of it. And and when do we start as couples? When do we start as families during the divorce and after the divorce and the different ages? And, And just tell me kind of the benefit that families, couples, individuals can get from the right type of therapy. Well, and one of the greatest benefits of therapy is dialogue, right? So once we're talking, talking is what is the therapeutic intervention for yeah. most therapists. Yeah. It's it's allowing you to explore your thinking out outwardly. And usually the therapist is really good at just creating the space and then holding it. They don't usually, they don't even push back on it all the time, but sometimes they will. It's just allowing you to start to see it. And they hold up what you're saying And then just asking the right questions at the right time allows, in a safe way, allows the person to kind of get through their own stuff. 
So my belief is all meaning is created through communication, right? So you, you don't know something unless you've interacted on it. And the benefit of therapy is our interacting on it. The benefit, by the way, this, there's similar benefits that could happen just being a mom talking to your kids mm-hmm. and asking them. And they're going to say, when you say, how are you doing? They'll say, fine. But if you know something's wrong, yeah. they'll, just, they'll still say, fine. So we've got to find more creative ways to get conversations going. And one way to do it might be instead of getting into them, it might be, for example, recognize your own emotion. You know what? Since dad left, I've noticed that I've been a lot more down. I've been a lot more sad. Have you felt that way? And sometimes you recognizing your own emotion first helps them. Another way to do it is don't make talking the goal. If you have boys, for example, I would make activity the goal. And then while you're in an activity, I would talk. Then a lot of times guys don't know we're talking if we're doing an activity. Like we don't know you're doing that to us. But it might be like, go shoot hoops. If you see your kids playing video games, maybe go learn to play some video games with them and talk to them through the video game. You know what I mean? And then they don't know we're talking. And, And that, by the way, would be very therapeutic. Because it's catharsis because we get the emotion out. And a lot of times if we can talk the emotion out, what you can hear is don't, I call it smoke. Don't get into the smoke. Like, I think you and dad were so selfish. That's what a teen might say. But if you don't argue it, just say, tell me more. And so try, I call it get real. Recognize the emotion. Explore the story behind it. Every emotion has a story. So if they seem sad or angry, tell me why you're so angry. Explore the story behind it. And then attend to the deeper issue. I call it the starved stuff, but attend to the, do, do you hear them arguing? It's just stupid. You know how dumb it is to be the only person in the neighborhood whose parents are divorced? Do you know how embarrassing that is? So as your child is ripping you on that, what they're actually explaining is they don't belong. Mm-hmm. And so now, you know, we have a belonging issue or like, I can't believe how selfish you guys are. Like that is the most selfish thing to just not love your kids enough to make your marriage work. So now we're not, we're actually talking about a lovable issue. Yeah. Oh, and so now I don't even know where I'm going to live. And if you marry some guy, I got to live with some guy in this house. Now it's a, now it's a safety issue. So all of a sudden, if you listen to the story, you're going to hear their issue. Is it lovable? Is it capable? Is it belonging? Is it safe? Don't try to talk them out of it. Just let them talk about it. Yeah. So you feel like it's embarrassing. My divorce with dad is embarrassing to you. Yeah. It's, it's seriously embarrassing to all of us. Who's going to want to marry a kid with divorced parents? Now we talk about that for five minutes. Yeah. Don't argue. And by the way, you might think you're taking a beating, but don't get into your side of it. Just listen to their deeper pain. Yeah. And then once you recognize the emotion, explore the story, attend to the deeper issue, actually like literally pay attention to what's the deeper issue. Then you can lift the conversation. I totally agree. This can be embarrassing. And I'm sorry that you have to suffer that. Validate, Validate those it. feelings. Uh-huh. I'm just thinking back to some conversations with my parents. And again, I love them yeah. so much. And really, they do no wrong in my eyes. Right. But I can think of those situations um, and conversations I had with them where I would express a feeling and there would be pushback. Yeah. You don't know and, the whole story. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, And there's justification yeah. or any kind of pushback. 
and how that made me crawl back into a space that yep. was lonely uh-huh. and um, made me feel less capable of having that kind of conversation. But what's been amazing and what can happen in these circumstances, yeah. I also think my family is a great example of, uh-huh. is we can now have very open conversations yeah. where we can talk about the feelings that we should have talked about years ago, yeah. whether it was in therapy or whether it was just with our family and our parents. We've been able to have more of those conversations yeah. because my parents have done the and that you're talking yeah, about. Right. I, it's been really neat as an adult now to see that example from them yeah. because of so many reasons. Yep. It proves to me that I can have the and in my relationship with Ryan and my kids and other people in my life, but also to see them working that hard so that our family unit as a whole, even though it has changed yeah. and we've moved forward, we haven't always moved on, right? Right. right. Like we can still have these talks. And I was just in LA with my dad a week ago and talking about some things and just saying, hey dad, this happened. And this is how it made me feel. Yeah. Can we try to change that? Mm-hmm. And he was able to recognize, validate, yeah. and say, yeah, let's do that. But it's taken a long yeah. time. So it doesn't always happen overnight. No, right? it won't, right? And then, by the way, that look at the mere fact that you're still doing it, that's, you're still, there are, there's a wake from a divorce. And the more open you are to talk about it, the more safe you make it, the more healthy it is. So, Real, that that model I was teaching you, real is what actually heals. If the minute we can't be real and recognize and explore and attend and lift, the minute we can't do that, the healing is going to take forever or not, won't happen. And so the other rule, and this is huge, is that eventually all of us are going to be 30. And when you're 30, you're going to see your parents in a different light. And it'll be clearer like what, happen and who's mature enough to handle it and who's not. And, and I'm not saying like just maturity emotionally. Can you handle it? Mature, maturity in your purpose in life and your spiritual life. Can you mature? Can you be mature enough to handle this stuff? Some of us aren't developmentally there. And some of it's because we picked up this really strong attachment issue young. And it came from our parents who had one and their parents who had one. And the legacy is kind of not being open not mm-hmm. being real. So the mere fact your parents are doing it, I might realize at least learn it whenever you can. Yeah. And the sooner you can, the better. It's but never too late no, to have that relationship. Late. My dad's father was an alcoholic. Yeah. He had a really strained relationship right. with him. And he, after his dad passed away, has worked on the relationship and his yeah. dad's not even around. I mean, it came yeah. later on, but he's been able to do healing even post his, you know, after his dad has, has passed away. So it's, Truly, it's never too late uh-huh. to work on that relationship. And there were years, I mean, for my parents where it was hard and it was hard for us kids, the back and forth and parents moving on, um, getting remarried. Um, but I credit, I mean, them, it was when I had Weston mm. and there was the first grandbaby yeah. on our and side. And they had to kind of come together. And they had to make that decision yeah. and talk to each other and forgive each other. And like, just it really, Weston, that moment I can right. say was like, how it changed things, you know? And I I think looking back, they probably wished it wouldn't have taken that long. Uh Right. But there were marriages after my parents got divorced and that brings in a whole new level of how do we communicate now? And how do we (laughs) navigate this situation? All of a sudden there's three Christmases, you know, if you're like, that's our our reality, right? right? right. Whose house is it now? And all these things. Do you have any advice around that? Like how do we navigate then the new spouse and having 
someone who feels like, oh, are they taking place of mom? Are they taking yeah. place of dad? It's weird. Oh, it's totally weird. And and there's benefits, like you're saying, you get three times the presence or whatever, three times <laughs> the opportunity. But um, one of my rules is about like blending families and um, don't, don't assume it has to happen. Mm-hmm. We don't have to have a perfect blending of a fa- of family. Um, sometimes it depends on how we got to having to divorce, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if there was a death, sometimes that's, some, some people think that's easier than a divorce, but I actually find it's harder in a way because yeah. you tend to deify the dead. Yeah. So how does the next spouse ever live up to the deification of the past spouse? But another rule is um, before you ever think a family could be blended or not, give it seven years. So give it seven years of working on making everyone feel comfortable in fa- in a family. Um, humans are seven fairly years resilient. married, like uh-huh. the, so, the so new couple. Your married. second marriage. Okay. Give it seven years before you start questioning if we're blending or not. Wow, that's a long time. Uh-huh. Yeah, and the benefit of giving it that much time is that um, it'll happen. You'll build. It takes years to build a trusting relationship, especially with people that have attachment. And you're also going to see that sometimes um, if you have younger kids, like there's always an inherent competition between a daughter and her new stepmom. And there's, and part of that is because the daughter is vying to be the only viable female in the family. And now another woman is there. So that's why daughters tend to argue with moms anyway, in intact families, daughters argue with moms anyway. And so when, when now we're divorced now, she's actually got somebody to argue with. Mm-hmm. So just know it takes time. And there's traditional, there's t- very typical psychology with, um, with men and women and boys and girls. And so give it time, but I would get counseling as families. I really would. And this is why sometimes slowing it down quite a bit instead of hurrying into the divorce actually speeds up the process of healing. Oh, yeah. So remember, one of my rules is I, you can always get divorced. Like the actual divorce is the easiest part. The healing is the hardest part. You can get a lot of the healing going by just being real about what's going on and why we're doing it. Because then we don't have as many secrets, right? Right. Instead of thinking that we're doing it because of your family and how you love your family so much, we're really divorcing because I have my issues, you have your issues, I'm working on mine, you're working on yours, and we're choosing now not to be together on them. It's a, it's a different way to go about it. Right. It's more open. And as you're more open and you communicate more during the process, there's less you're holding on to is uh-huh. what, how I would yeah. imagine that's yeah. going, right? Yeah. So there's, I and, and I look at that even just like, I think about myself 10 years older than Kenzie, you know, and the things that I knew early on yeah. versus what she didn't, right. you know, had to work through later right. or my brother who was serving a mission for the church yeah. at the time who came home and he hadn't worked through anything yet. Yeah. And then all of a sudden was thrown into a year and a half, two years later, you know, yeah. this different mentality yeah. among everyone and was expected to to be where they were yeah, to adjust. with healing. And it was just, it's not where yeah. he was. There are, and, and even the idea to divorce is really interesting, right? Like some of the research shows that divorcing doesn't make you happier. Um, the only time divorce statistically actually benefits the family is if you guys are incessantly fighting in front of each other. Other than that, it in many regards, it's better for the kids that you just learn to cohabitate. Really? And it sounds horrible because like, then what are we teaching? But um, 
the research is pretty clear on that. Like it's uh, the kids, there's a lot of pain that happens just inevitably because we don't have a mom and a dad fighting for their kids 24 mm seven. -hmm. And so, and you have a really nice little nuclear family and it's nice and tight and we're going to protect that nuclear family. The minute that we remarry and give two bigger families, um, we have people that don't have as vested of an interest in your children as you did yeah. that are now circling the children more. So it just increases other problems and other things. So some people say, should we just stay together and, and just, you know, suffer through it? That's a false dichotomy. But again, you can always divorce. You can always do it. It's just make sure it's the right decision. And what I always teach is make sure um, that you're, that you're pretty effective yourself. Make sure you're not selfish. You're not doing this selfishly. Make sure you're not doing it reactively. Make sure you're not polarizing every conversation. You can have a talk, but we can be unified. Make sure you don't negatively interpret everything your partner does. Make sure you're not hopeless as you're doing it. And make sure it's not an act of abandoning. It's an act of, it's a, it's a healthy, healthy thing. Mm -hmm. This is the healthiest decision we can make. Yeah. And most people don't go through those skills and they don't have those skills yet when they're divorcing. So then they have to learn to not be selfish. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many times has just a parenting plan in a divorced family been selfish instead of just selfless? It should be what's best for the kids. One of the greatest things my mom and dad did is every Christmas for years, I would still, my dad would still come to Christmas morning with us, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. And very selfless for my mom to let him there and let him in. And my grandma, my dad's mom was with us. So every Christmas morning, we had my dad at my house yeah. for about five or six years, which was great because I was young. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I still worked with my dad every day and I'd see my mom every night. And so I still had a relationship with them. So that's powerful. It's just we as humans have to be ready in order to make these bigger decisions and ready in healthy ways. Plus, by the way, we have to be independent financially. Can my wife make it as well as I can? Can I make sure that I'm taking care of her to the degree that she needs to be taken care of? And that's there's big issues with all of that stuff. The minute finances gets involved, the minute another person gets involved, it complicates everything. It is messy. Yeah. So start early on that communication, yeah. even if you know what route yeah. you think it's going right. to go, right? To just better the healing right. process and speed that up. Yeah. Uh, so many things, you guys, I feel like we're all going to have to go back and listen to this again it's crazy, and huh? take notes and make sure you're following along with Matt Townsend on Instagram and his website. You have so many courses yeah. and classes and date night events that you do to help couples with all of this, yeah. with the communication, with their families and how to work through this. Tell us where everyone can just find more and follow along. So the best place is matttownsend.com. And part of this is, again, we don't, you're not naturally just born knowing these skills. Right. And the thing I love is that the researchers are out creating a ton of research. They're just not great marketers. So a lot of the research we don't know, and you know a little bit, like everyone's read the five love languages. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> definitely did. First everyone's week of read it and it's super powerful <laughs> as an idea, except we don't necessarily know how to solve a conflict. And we don't even know that we had an attachment issue. And, and some of us don't even know our own temperament. And so I have classes for all of these different things. 
that um, like something that is blowing my mind. In fact, I'm about to launch a new program on it. It's called high sensitivity. Okay, so what's a, that? a lot of the people that I talk to um, that are really reactive to their spouse are what are called high sensitives. High sensitives are 20% of the population. They're 20% of the animal kingdom too. And they pick up four times more information than everyone else. So I'm a high sensitive, by the way. And so we pick up more smells. We notice smells when the kids get in the car and we smell poop. Yeah. Then we know one of the kids. Sweaty teenage boys yeah. in my case. Uh, <laughs> so you, you know, we smelled more. We hear more. Sound bothers us more. Um, we, temperatures bother us. We feel more. We, we, we spend a lot of time in our heads thinking. And so if you're a highly sensitive person, you notice a lot more about your partner. And high sensitives, if you pick up more information, you tend to stress more. So you become more anxious. So one of the one of the causes of anxiety might be the simple fact that you're a high sensitive. If you're a perfectionist and things have to be a certain way, your clothes have to fit just right, you may be a high sensitive. So you're describing me as what yeah. you're, yeah. <laughs> you're and why, why I say that is the people that struggle most with divorce yeah. would be high sensitive. Yeah. Because they're more likely to have PTSD yeah. because they notice more and they miss dad. And how come how come I saw dad was looking at mom that weird way and they looked angry and you noticed stuff. And so it, some of this might simply be, you're just, your temperament is more sensitive. And because you notice more, you feel everything more and it stresses you more. And so I'm releasing a whole program on this just because a lot of the clients that come to me in marriage problems are high sensitives. And they don't, and they don't even know they are. They just think they're crazy. <laughs> like, why does, what is everything my husband, I know how, why yeah. does it bother me that he does it that way? Yeah. Well, so, sign me up, Matt. Yeah. I'm there. <laughs> yeah. MattTownsend.com is the best way to get it. And on okay. Instagram, I, I have hundreds of what are called Matt's Minutes, just three little oh, minute tools. So much, so many resources yeah. that you offer. You're on Studio 5 here locally, yeah. but you can also, if you're not local to Salt Lake, Watch those online yeah, as on well. on YouTube as well. Yep. And we'll have it all on our website soon. And I, I had a radio podcast show um, for 10 years. So I have 1,200 hours of Okay, we can still find content. all that? Uh-huh. Oh, my Pretty gosh. Pretty much on any. That's tons. Just look up the Matt Townsend show yeah. on, on, any, uh, on, um, on any iPod or on any podcast site. Yeah. yeah. Well, Matt, I so appreciate you Thanks. being here. I learned a lot. I know that our listeners and specifically the listeners who requested this are grateful Thanks, for everything Courtney. you had to say. Thank Thanks you. for having me. All right, you guys, I will see you next week on Courtney Beyond the Cake. Thanks, friends, for tuning in today. For show notes and other episodes of Courtney Beyond the Cake, head to cakebycourtney.com forward slash podcast. And for all things cake, remember, you can find me over on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Cake by Courtney. And for all my recipes, products, information about my online classes, just head to cakebycourtney.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.